Welcome to the Half Space Podcast. Hi, this is the Half Space Podcast and it's brought to you by St Mary's University Football Coaching and Development Programmes. This podcast is for coaches and will bring you conversations on cutting-edge research topics and discussions on how you can embed these into your coaching. Each week, we will bring you a different conversation with an expert and consider how you can embed the concepts into your coaching. Please follow us on Twitter at the Half Space Pod for a research paper linked to this week's podcast. This week, we speak to Bonnie Lunn. Bonnie is a lecturer here at St Mary's University and works across a range of undergraduate and postgraduate programmes. Today, she discusses her PhD research in anti-Semitism in football. So, Bonnie, welcome to the Half Space podcast. Um, it's good to catch up today. I know it's an especially busy time of year. Um, so thank you for making a little bit of time. It'd be great if you could kick us off just by talking a little bit about how you ended up studying sports studies for your undergraduate. What was your motivation behind kind of starting off and, and taking that path and studying sport at uni? Uh, so um, as a child, I was quite a practical child. I'm not going to say sporty, but I'd say practical in the sense that um, I, I was really musical, um, but I also did do sport. Um, and I think it sort of got to a point where my music overtook my sport and I had to dedicate my time to doing my music. Um, and then I went off to uni and I realised that even though I was continuing with my music, I was missing my sport. So I wanted to continue doing the two things that I really liked. Um, so that led me to do my sports studies um, at Winchester. And in that sense, I was able to keep both both things that I enjoyed. And in terms of studying sports studies, was it kind of appealing that it was quite broad? And so you got a little bit of different things rather than maybe specifically picking to do PE or sports coaching or sports science actually there was a variety in the sports studies that was that was relatively attractive. Yeah, I remember um, when I was looking at sports studies, they had so many different options. So I could look at like biomechanics, I could do sport sociology, sport history, um, sport media, and so many different modules. Um, and yeah, I think that that was really appealing in that sense. And I think when I first went there, I was thinking, oh, I really enjoyed like my biomechanics uni, uh, units at school for A-level. But then when it came to university, I realised actually that's sort of a whole other sphere. And then, yeah, I, I became interested in more sort of sports development, sports history, sports media. Um, yeah, and it just went from there, really. And in terms of kind of that sociology side, which is where you've kind of ended up moving into with kind of your MRes and then your PhD, were there specific topics that you were interested in at undergraduate that really kind of lit the fire, if you like, or sparked your interest? Yeah, because I, I originally was going to do my dissertation at um, what impact does being in a relationship have on your involvement in um, physical exercise? Because I just thought, you know, like it was a personal thing that I thought, oh, since I've been in a relationship, I've sort of given up trying to be healthy. And, you know, just eating junk food, like you give up that element of looking after yourself in that sense. Um, so I think I always thought, oh, I'd love to like see how being in a relationship actually changes your involvement with sport or physical exercise. Um, and so I went in to start my dissertation doing that. Um, and then I remember getting my grades over summer for my sociology and my history modules. Um, and 
apparently I was really good at it. Um, and I was with the same same teacher had me for history and sociology. And they pointed out to me how actually I've got that mind where I do sort of think, well, actually, this isn't great in the world. So how do we change it? Um, and I just thought, actually, let's do something that looks at sort of sociology and history. Um, and I went to the Women's um, 2017 Cricket World Cup, um, loved it. And I just thought, I want to do something sociology-based and cricket-based. And that was how I ended up there. So in terms of that project then, what, what did it look like and what kind of your, were your aims for that? And I mean, I know you spoke a little bit about the motivation, but how did that kind of drive you on to that, that research? Yeah, so um, I wanted to look at it from a feminist perspective, given the fact that it was looking at women's cricket. And I think in my head, I just thought, when you look at sport, it's such a male-dominated field. And I think I went in sort of being the pessimist that I always am, that, like, everything's terrible, like, women have such a bad... Like, I just thought so negatively of it, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to find everything terrible about women's sport. But essentially, I was looking at media, the media coverage, um, and I was looking at newspaper articles, um, looking at the language that they use to describe um, the female athletes, um, and essentially I went into it thinking it's going to be terrible like the language they're going to use is going to be really bad and I remember seeing some stuff that I thought that's a bit fishy um, but then I went on to um, my supervisor and I said actually it isn't the worst thing in the world like I'm not finding terrible things I'm not seeing that reporters say that women are weak and what I was basically expecting and I remember sort of having a turn there that actually women's sport is improving and and we are having, although it's not amazing, it's not great, there was a change in um, the way that we see things. But then, yeah, I think some of the language that was used was like they said that it was Nat Siver did something aesthetically pleasing um, or like she gracefully hit the ball. And it was things like that that I was like would wind me up and I was like oh th that's the language that I wanted to see that was like the feminist language whereas if they're talking about the men it would be that they like whacked the ball with aggression um so I, I was really interested and I really enjoyed it but looking back at it now um I think I was looking for something that maybe does exist but doesn't exist to the extent that I wanted it to exist do you think that kind of through the process of doing that research it helped that the England women's team was successful within that tournament and that it was a home tournament so maybe there was more coverage perhaps because yeah. it was a tournament hosted in England and obviously England went on to win it yeah I, I, I don't think I would have been able to do the project if it was somewhere else because I don't think I'd have had the newspaper articles to look at because I I mean this year with the World Cup, I think that there would be newspaper articles that I could look at, um, even though it was based in another country. Um, however, I think four years ago or five years ago, um, you, I don't think I would have been able to get newspaper coverage to actually do the, um, do the research if it was based in another country. Um, I, the newspaper articles I got, I think I got 96. Um, which was across six different 
uh, web pages, newspapers, um, which is probably still quite limited. If you were to do it on the men's, I think you get a lot more. Um, but yeah, it, it was really enjoyable to sort of like open my eyes out to what the world is like, I think, for female athletes, because I keep I keep thinking about it recently that as a child, I never thought I was any less because I was a woman in terms of sport. Like, I think I thought, oh, I have the opportunities to play sport. But it's only until now, really looking into it, that I realised actually I was limited as a child to what I could do. Um, and that's probably why I did gymnastics as a child. Um, if if I wanted to do another sport, would I have been able to? Um, so, yeah, it's really eye-opening, I think, to see that. No, I think that's really interesting. And I think it's kind of, like you say, in the relatively short period of time between the 2017 World Cup and then, then this year's, the, the change in terms of, of the coverage. And is it something that you've thought about potentially I know your research projects kind of has changed and, you know, your, your MRes and, and your PhD have been on different topics, but is it something that you've thought about potentially doing in the future is doing almost a comparison of, well, this is what we found out from, from that World Cup in 2015 and then almost updating it and comparing it with a newer one? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the topic that I'm researching at the moment, um, as much as I really like and I really enjoy it, I wonder how much more I'll do of it after my PhD. Um, so I, I continue to think that I want to go back to looking at gender um, within women's sport or, yeah, possibly gender and sexuality together. Um, but, yeah, I, I think definitely I'd love to go back and do something similar to that. Um, but at the same time, as I mentioned previously, I don't know if my first undergrad dissertation, if it really captured what I wanted it to cap, what it was meant to capture rather than what I wanted it to capture. Um, so I think I need to make changes to the first one to make that comparison. Um, but yeah, I would love to go back and do some more on that, um, especially as I, I love women's cricket now. And I, I guess that's a part of the evolving skill set of a researcher isn't it in terms of to be able to look back at something and kind of go look there there are areas that I need to improve there's kind of tweaks and and things like that that I would do on it but I think it's yeah it's something that it's interesting that you almost set out to find one thing and expected to find one thing but we're actually almost positively surprised if that makes yeah. sense in, in terms of some of the coverage do you think that some of your interest and, and passion for this type of research is coupled with the fact that women's sport at the moment is growing and it's getting more professionalized and, and is getting more coverage so actually as a research topic there's almost more demand for it now than, than ever before to have some research behind kind of the media coverage and the increase in professionalization and and what that looks like and, and some of kind of the sociological kind of challenges or or images behind it yeah definitely um the only thing I would I would say that there there are people sort of doing it in that sense I think um I can think of individuals that I know of that are looking at the Women's World Cup and doing their research around that in terms of cricket and I think cricket isn't the most popular most popular I think there's probably quite a few doing it on football 
um, especially with the improvements or the greater coverage that's coming from football. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that increase yeah, in coverage and uh, success is going to drive sort of more research um, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully essentially that it will. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, we've seen a lot of research, particularly in, in women's football. You know, there's been a lot come out of, you know, individuals like Leanne Norman from Leeds Beckett doing lots of stuff around like women's coaches. And more recently, we've seen that transition to kind of looking at player experiences and even kind of fan experiences. And I think it's it's making sure that as researchers, those topics are covered across different sports so that we don't just say, well, this is what's happening in football. Therefore, it applies to women's cricket, women's rugby and, and other sports, but making sure there is that kind of nuanced research within every single um, sport, if that makes sense, to make sure that we're tracking and, and seeing how they're progressing and, and what the environments are that encourage people to, th to thrive and potentially that that limit people's kind of successes. Because I think if you look at England women's cricket, you know, there is representation and kind of we see that within the media and we see it increasing with the, within the media. Um, and recently we've seen like female commentators and contributors on in the men's issues, which is, is a huge step forwards. But yeah, that research, I think, it's kind of struggling to to catch up and, and evidence what's going on and, and to track those changes. Yeah, definitely. I think what you just said then just made me think of a research topic in the sense of what language is used on sports based upon how masculine they're perceived to be. So if you were to look at female a female game or a female event in a sport that is perceived to be less masculine, how that language would um yeah that's just a few future no, de definitely head. and I, I think it'd be interesting like if you look at something like uh women's hockey and the success that they had in kind of Rio in 2016 and the coverage around that and a sport that is potentially perceived to be more feminine in hockey and how that contrasts and that coverage contrasts perhaps to to other sports which yeah like you say historically have been been seen to be a, a bit more masculine and certainly the coverage of those sports if you're looking at like rugby if you're looking at football cricket the coverage of those sports tends to be very heavily weighted to covering the men's game in in far greater detail than than the mm. women's game which is often almost an additional tag on yeah in terms of then your research interest you kind of transition from your undergrad to to doing an MRES but you changed your topic and kind of you went down a different route so how did that topic kind of come about what was your motivation for that and if you could just talk to us a little bit more about that experience of studying the MRES. Yeah so essentially um, so I'm half Jewish half of my family are Jewish and if that's even allowed to be said that I'm half Jewish and I don't know if you can have half a religion um, but essentially half my family are Jewish and the other half um, are Christians. My, um, my grandfather on that side was actually a vicar and whereas my Jewish side of the family are like very involved with their synagogues um, and is a really important, important part of their identity. Um, and 
those that are Jewish support Tottenham. Uh, and somebody just came to me, a family friend, and said, oh, how do your Jewish Tottenham Hotspur fans feel about the use of the term Yid? Um, which, for those that don't know, is sort of a race-hate word for um, Jewish individuals. Um, and I, at the time, I didn't know anything about it. I was a bit like, I don't know, like, what does that even mean? Had had very little understanding. So I went to my Jewish cousins who support Tottenham, and I said to them, um, you know, I've been asked to ask you how you feel about the use of this term. And then it became evident to me that there's no research on this. Um, it's actually a really interesting topic. The more that you look into it, the more that you educate yourself on it, you'll learn how interesting it is. Um, and so I just thought, there you go, there's my new topic. And I want to I want to see how people feel about the use of this term. Um, and since looking at how people feel about using it, um, I've sort of broadened my horizons to then look at, um, well, why why is Tottenham associated with the Jewish faith um, or Jewish religion and what can actually be done about this and how can we use sport to try and overcome the issue that is um, anti-Semitism in football. And it is, a, it is a very current topic as well. So similar to kind of the research that you did at undergraduate, it mm. is something that's very much, particularly in the last sort of 12, 24 months, has, has kind of come to the fore. How have you tried to strike that balance? And when you're reading a lot of the media coverage, is that almost echoing some of your findings? I think, so when I see the stuff in the media, it often is um, sort of articles about what fans have been doing. So if it's, um, you know, videos of people being seen doing Hitler salutes or um, Nazi you know imitating gas chambers things like that only make me want to research even more and see what can be done to make the change um, and it makes me sort of happy that I'm doing this project and um, shows that it's got some meaning but then when I see things such as Tottenham um, doing their Y word consultation to see what the fans feel about it that is the sort of statistics and the, the data that helps to support my research, but then in a sense sort of actually be a bit critical of what Tottenham are asking from them because, um, yes, they've got access to large numbers of fans, but to my understanding, the time that they were given to do the consultation in my eyes as myself perceiving call myself a researcher um I don't think is long enough um and like some of the methods around it I question um so yeah I don't know I think I take the media stuff as a way of yes it helps to inform my work um and it gives it more meaning and value um when I see stuff that isn't enjoyable to watch um, and that supports my understanding that anti-Semitism does exist in football. Um, yes, that media, media stuff is helpful to me, um, but at the same time, I think I just see my project as my own and I want to do something that's different to what Tottenham are doing with their consultation or what Chelsea are doing um, in terms of workshops to reduce anti-Semitism. 
And in terms of your research, then, how have you tried to go about collecting the data and how did you come up with kind of building the relationships to get in touch with your participants so that it really got to the core of the issues that you were investigating? Um, so the first the first project that I the one that I did for my own res, um, where I was looking at whether Tottenham really do have a Jewish identity um, or whether a club can really have a religious identity, because essentially Tottenham have been um, perceived in newspapers or within the media as being a Jewish club. Um, but actually, if you look at statistics, only I think it's 9.97% of the fans are Jewish. Um, does that statistic really mean that you are a Jewish club? Um, what is it that makes a club Jewish? Um, and essentially, when I did that piece of research, I wanted to ask the fans, well, do you perceive your club to be Jewish? Um, and I put that out on social media and I just tweeted the Spurs show, um, which is a podcast for Spurs fans, and they retweeted it. And that was how I got my um, my respondents or my participants. Um, and fortunately, I, I got a lot more than I could actually deal with. Um, so I had um, over 200 people say that they were happy to take part in an hour's interview and I, I didn't have that time. And then I also had 600 respondents um, doing like an online, um, online questionnaire. So in my eyes as a master's student, so I think 600 respondents plus 200 hour interviews um, cheered me up in that sense um, it's not enough to be able to say this this dictates how all of Spurs fans feel there's way more than 600 of them um, but for me as a I guess at a master's level you might say you're a bit of a novice still um, I think that was a really great sample for myself and gave me a lot to work with in terms of the project yeah definitely and I think it must have also shown you that you'd really struck upon something in terms of, of a research topic. And from those kind of conversations with family members, it must have really kind of solidified, yeah, this, this is really something that, that actually there's a need to research and, and there's a, a value in it and people are keen to, to contribute to it. Yeah, I think, I think it's a topic that goes unlooked if that's the word um yeah it's a topic that goes unlooked and I think um if you if you were to look into Google Scholar and write um other forms of discrimination so homophobia within sport or racism within sport or uh, ableism within sport I think you are more likely to find you are likely to find more articles than you would if you try anti-semitism within sport um and like off the top of my head when I have to think about key scholars within that field I can only think of a handful um, and I just think it is it's important to look at because as there's there's this book written by David Baddiel and it's it says Jews do Jews don't count and I think that is how my research projects sometimes feel is that in the eyes of some people people perceive Jews to not have to, or Jewish individuals, that they don't see anti-Semitism as a problem, they don't count them as a problem. Um, and I think that's highlighted within research. Not many people have seen it as a problem to then go out and actually do research on it. So that's why I think my work is 
important because someone needs to show that actually there is a community that that do count definitely and I, I think like you say it's something that maybe he's not really had a, a light shone upon it as a research topic as yet and I think it's something that has huge value and, and huge need and I know as you've kind of transitioned into to doing your PhD one of the things that you're looking at is almost okay how can we start to address this and the applied side and do we need workshops do we need education programs can you talk a little bit more about your desire to kind of engage on that practical level as well and so see some of these issues maybe addressed from the club's point of view and also how you think that could be done maybe yeah so I think as a as a researcher I'm probably not the only person who would say this but whilst doing my PhD I wanted to do something that mattered I didn't want it to be I'm spending three to six years on a project that will just sit in a drawer. Um, I wanted it to be something that people will utilise and it will make a difference. Not to say that everyone's is just going to sit in a drawer. Um, but in my, in my eyes, I wanted to do something that would make a difference. And I just thought, well, how can my work on antisemitism make a difference? Um, and I knew that from researching around I was looking at what initiatives have been used in sport and so I was looking at things such as um, the rainbow laces campaign um, the the wearing of um, you know sort of kick it out logos to remind people that racism and other forms of discrimination do exist within the game um, but I was also looking at um, which in my project we call symbolic campaigns because essentially um, a symbol has been put in place to remind people of um, the problems that do exist and, you know, educate people around that through the use of a symbol. Um, and then I was also looking at sort of educational campaigns. So um, kick it out, they go into schools or they go into workplaces and they educate individuals. Um, likewise, Chelsea, they've been um, going to... Chelsea have been... Um, educating their fan base around anti-Semitism um, and essentially I was looking at sort of the pros and cons of those um, and then I was also looking at sort of community-based initiatives how you can integrate the community together and what from sort of exploring those initiatives I sort of came to the idea that they all had limitations so what could I do to possibly remove those limitations um, and then how can I implement that into my initiative that I'm going to create um, so then I also thought it was best to speak with the experts who are the people that create these initiatives to say well what what did you think was great about your initiative what didn't you think was good um, in order for me to then be able to go away and analyze that and come up with a product that can actually be used to really make a difference so essentially that's what I've done I've spoken to experts within the field of anti-discrimination in sport um, and people who are also involved in Jewish charities and um, who have also done some sort of work to reduce anti-semitism in society rather than football um, and yeah I'm in the process of finishing up my initiative um, to hopefully be passed on to someone who can manufacture it whether that can happen or not um, and yeah hopefully 
being a bit too optimistic here. Hopefully it will make some difference. Um, but if it doesn't, I'm still proud of, I guess, just just the work that if it does sit in a drawer, I'm still happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. And I think, look, there's such value, like you say, in trying to create something as, as a takeaway from your PhD. And I'm interested to find out you, you spoke there about kind of this idea of a lot of the campaigns can be almost symbolic. Like we see usually a weekend every season, which is almost like Pride weekend where, you know, um, we'll see all the club captains in the Premier League wear a rainbow armband. A lot of the players wear rainbow laces. We see similar in terms of the kick it out campaigns where the players will warm up in, in the T-shirts. And equally, you also spoke about kind of the idea of education and, and the route that Chelsea have gone down. Is it that you almost think that actually there needs to be a blend of all these things? So it can't necessarily be one or the other, because if it is potentially just symbolic, can that just become tokenistic and, you know, the club captain wears the armband or, or however it works, but actually there's no real change. So is it that you kind of think, well, moving forwards, we almost need elements of all these different types of, of campaigns and initiative to try and ad address anti-Semitism? Yeah, essentially, I think from looking at research and also speaking to possibly some of those experts who are involved in those campaigns, not to say which ones were involved, um, but like from looking, for example, the rainbow laces, um, if you go on Stonewall's website, they've got their um, statistics to show how many, I can't remember what percent of um, LG, the LGBT plus community believe that rainbow laces is not enough. So just wearing the laces, that is not enough. Um, so in that, in my eyes, I took that, just that one bit essentially of, um, of literature or that piece of research to say so symbolic initiatives are just not enough like yes they're doing a good job in raising awareness but that's not enough I think the word enough was what was highlighted to me and somebody also said that for their symbolic initiative that they were involved on one of the experts and um, they said um we're basically like a cake we're essentially the icing on the cake but we're not the bit in the middle um and how can our symbolic initiative become like a full cake so i mean yeah in the sense the symbolic aspect yes i want to embed something that is sort of symbolic alongside um something that can also be used to educate but then looking at the educational initiatives um for example i know that chelsea and other clubs are doing um an educational workshop for if you get banned to reduce your fine but then um i think about speed awareness and i think if an individual were to get um a speeding ticket but they were offered the opportunity to go and do um a speed awareness test um to avoid getting points on their license and to be able to get back out on the road again um an individual would take that incentive so as a chelsea fan who's been caught um making anti-semitic chants or singing anti-semitic songs are they attending this workshop just so that they can get back and watch their club that they love um so i think my initiative um it's not going to have an incentive towards it um people aren't going to be doing it for a reason uh, well other than to help them reduce their to help teach people about anti-semitism but there's not going to be an incentive in the sense that you have to do this to be able to go and watch a match again. 
Um, but also educational initiatives have been um, sort of criticised for being sort of, you know, um, an organisation comes in, speaks to children for an hour. What impact does that have? Um, especially when you compare it to the impact of their parents or their people who actually live around them. What impact does a one hour workshop from an organisation tackling racism or any issue in society, what does that impact actually have? So when I saw that as a critique, I had to think, okay, well, my initiative can't be an hour long. Um, and I also looked at some research whereby it was a 10 week um, educational programme and the findings from that differed quite a lot. And it showed that the longer the initiative is, the greater impact it's going to have. Um, so I thought in my head, well, what can I do that would have long-term impact? So my initiative that I'm working on is not something that can be done in an hour. So yeah, essentially from looking at those previous initiatives, research, looking at those initiatives and from speaking to the experts, I worked out what, what doesn't work well, what does work well. Um, and that's what's helped me create what I'm creating at the moment. And once I've had that fully complete, I'm gonna take it to focus groups so that um, it can be told to me by four specific populations what they think of it um, and what changes need to be made to make it the best that it can be before possibly, if ever, if I'm being too optimistic that it gets to the public to actually make some difference, but yeah. And I guess kind of looking forwards, would, would that be your ultimate aim is that obviously we know so many football clubs, all football clubs have kind of a community side to them, whether it's, you know, your more traditional football in the community or um, your foundation. Would your hope be that potentially initiatives similar to this focused on anti-Semitism were run by organisations like that and embedded within the local communities kind of up and down the country rather than it necessarily always falling on the clubs either potentially like Spurs who may be historically have been identified you know in relation to kind of being a perceived Jewish club or maybe the flip side of it is like you said Chelsea where maybe they're dealing with the other side where they're banning fans for anti-semitism. Yeah I think my initiative is not fan focused because I think we're at a point where it's like, how can you change their attitudes? Like they're gonna say what they want to say. So my target audience is um, actually children um, so that hopefully they'd grow up to not have those, those thoughts. They'd understand what it is that they're actually, if a child goes to a match and they hear anti-Semitic chanting, they probably don't actually know what they're hearing. So it's that way of teaching them what they are hearing. Um, so with that in mind, what I would hope is that my initiative is um, given out within within schools and used within like PHC time um, or PSCE, whatever schools say these days, um, or like RE. Um, and I think from there, if that, if that was to ever happen, I also think a great idea would be like clubs giving the initiative out um, within sort of like junior membership packs um, because you know, I'm trying to avoid saying what my initiative is, um, but essentially it is something small that could have a big impact. And I think 
if clubs were just able to pop that in a little junior membership when they sign up to the club, um, you never know what difference that can make. It may make no difference at all, um, but it could make a tiny bit of difference. So, yeah, I, I, I hope that it's only a small thing that, you know, it, it may be absolute rubbish. Um, I might take it to my focus group and I'll be like, what is this? But if, if that small small initiative can make a tiny bit of difference, then, I mean, I'll be buzzing. Uh, look, 100%. And I think it's it goes back to that point that, that you said about not wanting your PhD to just sit in a drawer and, and not mean anything, to be able to take those findings to an individual, to a group, you know, if it affects one person, if it affects one organisation, if they take it on board, if one school chooses to deliver it, that's a huge difference. And I think it's about bringing that maybe initial research, that initial conversation that you had with your family member that sparked the idea for your MRES to now see it through and actually be creating something that is more tangible so that you can start to address some of these issues and challenges is, is a huge thing. Um, and look, thank you ever so much for, for making some time. Today, it's been great to chat to you and find out a little bit more about your research. If anyone wants to get a little bit more information or follow you on Twitter, what's your Twitter handle? And then do you have any papers or any research that's coming out in the near future where they could find you? Um, yeah, my Twitter handle is at Lun Benita. Paper-wise, I've got a chapter coming out in a um, book soon. Um, but otherwise, yeah, hoping to get my MRes published. Um, but as you know, busy time at work. So <laughs> if that happens, that will be a Christmas Hanukkah miracle. Well, look, thank you ever so much for joining us. Um, it's been great to chat. And yeah, thank you very much. That's all right. Thank you for having me. Follow us on Twitter at the Half Space Pod.